dropped it and broke it. Bear with me a second here. Well, um, so I must admit, it is uh, it was really exciting and almost a little bit nerve-wracking uh, this morning as I woke up uh, to get ready for uh, the, the service today. Because normally on a Sunday morning, I can wake up and I can, well, not normally, but over the last few weeks, I can wake up and take my time. I don't even have to shower. I can use the gym and I can have pancakes or whatever, and I can just take my time. And I woke up this morning and started doing that, and I thought, oh, I've got to be somewhere actually in an hour and a half. I, I, I can't sit on my couch and observe church and worship like that. I have to be part of it. And so it is good, and it, it was a little bit nerve-wracking, but it is really nice to be here standing in this room uh, preaching to people and not preaching in my office to a camera six feet away. There's just something that is inherently special about places, and, and I think that this the sanctuary is a place that we associate with worship and we're a place that we just enter into a reverent atmosphere. And so uh, it's really nice to be able to be here and and it's also great to, to be able to preach live and not have to try to time my preaching around when the snowplow will come by on a Thursday morning because usually I have to time my preaching and there's been more than once where I could hear him coming and I've had to uh, quickly find a place to pause before the, the whole sermon gets overloaded. So it's good to be back up here. And do you know what the, 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 the most difficult part that I found during the whole time of preaching to a camera in my office? It wasn't uh, aim in their karaoke dances that they have all week. It wasn't the loud music. It wasn't the plows. It was honestly humor. It was honestly jokes. I, I, I tell a lot of humor as part of the way that I speak. And so when you tell a joke to an empty room, it is the most awkward experience that you could ever have. Because at least in the first round when we were locked down, uh, Ryan so was here. Like a, a so little chuckle, like perhaps, a... if I told a joke. And so I knew at least one person might have chuckled at my joke. But when you preach to an empty room, it's awkward because I, I, as I say a, a humorous thing, I go, well... Oh, people are laughing, you know, and I can't laugh at my own joke. I can't be the only one that laughs. And so uh, it's, it's awkward because I can't give that silence that is needed. You know, otherwise I might be sitting there silently hoping there everyone, silently at, home hoping everyone at home is laughing while everyone else is saying, like, why is he being silent? Like, <laughs> keep talking. And so I'm excited for that, but I'm also excited just to be able to see everyone's faces. And as I was preparing this, I, I was getting ready, and I had a different sermon prepared for this week. Uh, this, today was supposed to be the final sermon in our series on smartphone Christianity, and we were going to talk about addicted to social media uh, and vanity, and I, and I had prepared a whole sermon, but it didn't sit right. It just didn't feel right. And I was looking at that, and I was praying on that, and we had a, a four-week series I was supposed to chart next or start next, and it, didn't, it just didn't feel like it fit. And so I was praying and listening, and I felt like God was saying, yeah, that's a cool idea, Luke. I like that idea. It's nice. And maybe one day I'll have you do that. But I actually have a different idea for you right now. I have a different idea for you. And, and so uh, on Tuesday, I told Ralph, hey, I'm changing up the theme for this Sunday uh, and also the next seven weeks. So uh, good luck. And told him I was changing routes, which is not the nicest thing to do to the guy who's in charge of all the worship. But for the next seven weeks, we have a completely different place where I was heading than before. Uh, for the next seven weeks, we're going to look at a sermon series that has been preached on by People much wiser than I have been preached on for hundreds of years, and we're going to be preached or looking through uh, the seven sayings on the cross. And so you might have heard of sermon series on this. You might have actually, perhaps you've preached on it or studied on this. But as we work towards Easter, we're going to spend the next seven weeks talking through seven messages or seven discussions that center around the last seven things that Jesus said. 
Now, these last seven sayings, they're all quite short sayings. Uh, some of them are, are actually only a few words. They're all at least just one verse, or I think the, the longest one is two verses. But see, these are some of the most powerful and important words that I think Jesus spoke. They're some of the most uplifting and encouraging and also impactful words that he spoke. And so we're going to start looking at those over the next seven weeks. And today we're going to start by looking at one of the first sayings, which is in Luke 23, 34. And it's very short, and I'm going to read it for you. And all it simply says is, Jesus said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's it. It's so short and so simple. And so today we're going to talk about that. And this one is called the words of forgiveness. So these are the words of forgiveness. Now, the first thing that I want to point out when we talk about this first saying, or the words of forgiveness, is I actually want to go back to something that was said much earlier uh, in Luke. I want to go back to something that was said much earlier in Jesus' ministry. And so I'm going to go to Luke 6, verse 29 and 35, and I believe I have them both up here. And so, in verse 29 of chapter 6, Jesus says this. He says, if someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And he says, if someone takes your coat, don't withhold your shirt from them. And then he continues to speak about the same subject matter, and he gets to 35, or verse 35, and he says, But love your enemies, and do good to your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without ever expecting to get anything back, and then your reward will be great. And you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Now, sometimes I like to read these verses in the ESV, the NRSV, because they're very academic. And then I like to go to the message, which is very simple translation. It's often a loose translation. It's very simple and makes things clear. And in the message, it says, if someone slaps you in the face, stand there and take it. No more of this tit-for-tat stuff. Live generously. And he says then in 35, it says, I tell you, love your enemies, help, and give without expecting things back. You'll never, I promise, you'll never regret it. Our Father is kind, so you be kind. I think it's pretty clear here what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying to love your enemies. He says, care for those people that don't care for you. Show kindness to those people that are not kind to you. Show kindness and encouragement to those people that are mistreating you. He says, he says all that, and I want you to hold that message in your hand for one second while we jump back to our verse for the day. In our verse today, where Jesus says, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing, where do we find Jesus? Now, if you know the context, if you've looked around in that verse at all, you know he's not at a dinner with friends. He's not hanging out with his buddies. He's not on Facebook debating others. He's, we find Jesus in this situation in the most horrible punishment that the Roman authorities could think up. This was the most horrible thing that they could dream up. We find Jesus in this situation today. We find him hanging, nailed to a cross. He was just beaten. Uh, he was whipped. A crown of thorns was stuffed onto his head. He's been ridiculed. He's been mocked. And the soldiers are literally dividing up his clothes in front of him. That's where we find Jesus. The most powerful man, the most powerful person to ever walk the face of the earth, the most powerful person in creation. And what does he say in that moment? He says, forgive them. He says, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. See, the point I want to make is that Jesus didn't just talk the talk. Jesus walked the walk. Jesus walked the walk. See, it's really easy to talk the talk. It's very easy to do that. That's simple. I can do that. I can talk all about things. We can all do that. But walking the walk is something that is much harder for most of us to do. 
I was thinking of an example this week, and, and I, I, truthfully, this was the first example I came across, and I wanted to find a different one, but this one's better, uh, and I wanted to not tell it because it makes me look quite bad, but I'm going to tell it anyways. The last hockey fight I ever remember being in. Now, if you know hockey, you know that sometimes fights happen in hockey, and it happens, but the last hockey fight that I was ever in actually happened to be while I was playing for my local Bible college team. So I was an alumni playing for my Bible college team. I happened to be a youth pastor at another church at this time. And so I was playing in this league, and it was a Christian league. And I was playing against another church, a church up in Heidelberg, actually. And I'll be honest, what, what happened when I was playing, I was trying to impress this girl by being very manly. I was trying to impress this girl on our team, and I thought, well, if I'm quite manly, perhaps she'll be impressed. Uh, and to some degree, it must have worked out because I did marry her. Um, and so we're playing this game against this other church, and this, this kid on their team was quite a dirty hockey player. And if you watch hockey at all, you'll know the kind of player that I'm talking about. Cross-checking, a lot of tripping, using his stick behind the play. And I was getting frustrated. We were all getting frustrated with this kid. And, and, and me, being a youth pastor at the time, my response should have been to just simply forgive him. My response should have been to let it go and skate off to the ice. I should have stood there when he cross-checked me and said, please, another one would be fine. Uh, I should have done that, like Jesus said to do. But instead, after about the fourth or fifth time, in about the second period, uh, I cleaned his clock. Uh, and it was totally wrong. It was utterly wrong for me to do that. But the reality is it is so much easier, at the time especially, it was so much easier for me to talk to my youth group on Friday night about forgiveness and about standing there when someone slaps you in the face. But then on Saturday night at hockey, it was really tough to put that into practice. It's really easy to talk about standing there and not retaliating when you're being mistreated, but when it comes to the situation where you're being mistreated, it is really hard to walk the walk. It's much harder to do that in practice. But see, the thing that we notice here is that Jesus didn't just talk the talk. He walked the walk. In chapter 6, he says, Love your enemies, care for those who are persecuting you. And then we find him later in chapter 23, and he's praying for those people that are actually persecuting him. And that's important for us to note because one of the biggest criticisms that people outside the church have of the church is that we don't walk the walk. They say, you guys talk the talk a lot, but I don't see you walking the walk. See, they don't see Christians. They don't see us loving our neighbors. They don't see us serving the poor. They don't see us feeding the hungry. They do see us arguing and fighting. They do see us church splits happening all the time. They do see us on Facebook saying things that are just not true or, or belittling or rude. They do see us, you know, doing things like storming the Capitol building while we hold a sign that says Jesus saves. You know, they see us doing those things and they say, you talk the talk, but you're not walking the walk, right? They see that. And so when it comes to forgiveness, we need to not just be people who talk about it. We need to be people who actually do it. And it's not always easy to do that. And I think one of the big reasons that this comes out, or a big reason it's hard to forgive, is something that Gary and Monica Shriver point out in a book of theirs. They say, it's not so much that we're unable to forgive, but rather we're afraid of what forgiveness might cost us. So it's not that we're unable to forgive or that we don't want to forgive, but it's that we're afraid of what forgiving someone might cost us. See, we would forgive. You know, we would love to forgive those people, but we don't like what forgiving them will cost us. A lot of the time, what it'll cost us is our right to be angry or our right to vengeance. Or when someone slaps us in the face, our right to slap them back and to feel justified for doing it, saying, well, he did it first or she did it first. Right? We don't like the idea of forgiving someone will cost us something. We'll have to give up that right to anger or that right to vengeance. But if we want to walk the walk like Jesus does, 
then we have to not just want to forgive people, but we have to actually do it. We have to actually forgive them. Now, the second thing that I want to point out is, is, is comes out of this, and it's, it's something to do with when Jesus forgave. See, for Jesus, forgiveness was not an afterthought. It wasn't an afterthought. It wasn't something that came up after. We don't see the story. You know, it, it doesn't come out. Jesus didn't just die, come back a few days later, and come to the guys and say, you know what? I've had a few days to sleep on it and think on it, guys. Uh, I'm not really mad about what happened. You know what? I've, I've let it go. I've decided to move past it. I, I thought about it. I'm over. I was angry for a few days, but I'm over it now, guys. I've, I've given it up. I've forgiven you. That's not what we find. We find Jesus hanging on the cross in the middle of being mistreated, in the middle of being tortured and killed, and that is precisely when he forgave. He precisely forgave in the middle of the mistreatment. So for Jesus, forgiveness was not an afterthought. See, in my example of the hockey fight earlier, there's an ending to the story that I haven't shared yet. See, what happens in a hockey fight is generally, if you're familiar with hockey, if if you get in a fight, you go bye-bye, you're out of the game, you get to go sit in the penalty box, or like me, got kicked out. And so me and this other guy both got kicked out of the game. And uh, we were skating off, skating towards the dressing room. And my, my team is hooting and hollering like, yeah, yeah, way to go. And, and I'm yelling at that guy. And he's yelling back at me. And his team's cheering. Or, or team's cheering and, and we get off and we go into our dressing rooms. And as soon as I sit down in my dressing room, I sit there and I'm all alone. And I sit there and I start untying my skates and take my helmet off. And I start getting undressed. And there's no one else there. It's completely silent now. No one's cheering me on. No one's yelling in my face. I get into the shower. And in all of that silence and by myself, all that solitude, I realized something very quickly. I realized very quickly that my actions were not representative of Christ. My actions were not Christ-like actions. My actions were not the actions of a youth pastor who was playing on his local Bible college team, playing against another local church team. I thought, what if there are non-Christians watching this right now? And somebody goes, yeah, that's a youth pastor and that guy's a pastor's kid. And look at what they just did. And very quickly, I was embarrassed of my actions. Very quickly, in the solitude and silence of that shower, I was embarrassed. I thought, you know, I talk a lot at church to the kids about letting someone, you know, strike you and you not striking them back, that vengeance isn't yours, and and we're not supposed to retaliate, and we're supposed to be first to forgive. But when it came down to living it out, I had completely missed the mark, and I was embarrassed. And I was so embarrassed, in fact, that after the game, when, when my team came in and all the guys on my team came in bragging and being like, wow, Luke, way to go. That was so cool. You kicked his butt. And all this stuff, I hid in the shower. And I stayed in the shower because I didn't want to see any of them. Uh, and I'd have been, probably been in the shower for 25 minutes at this point. And I waited in the shower, in fact, till most of them had left because I didn't want to go out and admit I was completely wrong for what I'd done. And I didn't want to go out and say, guys, that's not okay to praise me. I, I was wrong, and those were wrong actions. But more than that, I didn't want to just not face my friends on the team or the dean of my college who happened to be on our team. I didn't want to go into the foyer and see Janice, who was standing in the foyer waiting, because I knew that she was going to have some perhaps strong words about what it meant to love our enemies and what it meant to forgive people and what a youth pastor is supposed to act like on the ice in a hockey game. And the worst part of all of those feelings, those embarrassment, I mean, the worst part was knowing that they were completely right knowing that Janice would be completely right to say that my actions were wrong, my actions were not representative of Christ. I was supposed to forgive in the moment. And so, see, I did end up forgiving this guy. I mean, the next time we played them, I had no ill feelings towards him. I didn't try to go out and, you know, get even. I didn't hold a grudge. I let it go, and I just moved past it. But my forgiveness was an afterthought. My forgiveness was after the, ca- the, the action had happened. I thought, ooh, I really should have forgiven in the moment. 
And for a lot of us, I think we might land there. For a lot of us, I think our forgiveness is an afterthought. It's something that comes later. You know, while we're being slapped in the face or being mistreated, our actions are not ones of, Father, forgive them. Our actions of, I'm going to get even. Right? That's where our actions are. For a lot of us, our forgiveness is an afterthought. Now, I will say that at least forgiveness as an afterthought is still forgiveness. So that's a good starting spot, that forgiving afterwards is still forgiveness, and it's, so we have to do at least that. But I think that there is a better standard we're called to aim for. And I think that we are supposed to aim for forgiveness that happens in the moment, like Jesus did. For him, forgiveness was not an afterthought. While being mistreated, tortured, and crucified, his thoughts were thoughts of concern for the other. Thoughts of love and compassion towards those that hated him. In the moment of his execution, he had thoughts of love and care for his executioners. And I think that's the standard that we're supposed to aim for. Now, part three, I, you might be saying here, yeah, Luke, that, that's, you know, how are we supposed to do that? That's Jesus. Jesus is, is perfect. There's no way we can aim towards that. How are we supposed to have love and compassion towards others in the very moments of our being mistreated? And I think the reason that it was possible for Jesus to do that is because forgiveness was not simply a character trait. It was not simply something that he did, but it was a part of the very thing that made him who he was. It was a very part of who he was. It was a part of his very being. It was built into the fabric of what it meant to be Jesus. And I think it's very possible for us to get there too. If I ask my wife, so what does it mean to be Lucas? She would say things like it means, you know, to be creative, uh, to be excitable, to be energetic, to be outgoing, to, to be always joking and not so serious, to be fairly impatient while driving. It means to be always doing. She would say those things are built into the very fabric of what it meant to be me. And those things are the very fabric of parts of what it means to be me. But forgiveness should be part of the very fabric of what it means to be me as well. And it should be for you too. Forgiveness shouldn't be something that we just do on occasion. But it should be part of what makes up who we are as people. It should be so natural that it just is a part of you. And just like it was for Jesus. And so you might be asking, well, how do I make forgiveness a very part of what it makes to be or what it means to be me? And when it's not as hard as it actually seems, it's simple. It's practice. Practice forgiving. In every chance you get, practice forgiveness. In every chance you are able to, extend and offer forgiveness. Over and over and over, practice forgiveness. Go back and forgive people who 20 and 30 years ago, you haven't forgiven for that thing that they've done. Those people that you are still holding a grudge towards, forgive them. Forgive those people. And ask forgiveness for people that you have harmed a long time ago that you never asked for forgiveness for. Seek forgiveness for those that you have wounded or you have harmed. Start practicing forgiveness. Do it every chance you get. Pretty soon, you're going to get better at it. And pretty soon, it might not take you years or months to forgive that person who's harmed you. Perhaps you'll be able to forgive after days or even better, even after hours. And perhaps as you keep practicing forgiving, you'll be able to forgive, you know, seconds after the thing. And eventually, you'll be able to forgive in the moment. And it will become a very part of who you are. You'll be able to forgive those who are mistreating you in the moment of your mistreatment. But that can only happen if we start practicing forgiveness in every chance that we can. And so forgiveness, is it something that we do on occasion or is it a very part of who we are? And the last point that I want to make is probably one of the most important points. And it's why. Why do we forgive? Why should we forgive? There are a lot of answers to this question. 
I mean, practically, one of the easiest answers is we should forgive because we talk all the time about we should forgive. You know, we talk about how Christians should be forgiving. So practically, if we talk about it, then we should do it. So there's that reason. But I think there are better reasons. And I think there are two really big reasons why we should forgive. The first is we should forgive because God forgave us. We should forgive simply because God forgave us. God forgives me, and he forgives you. He has forgiven, and he offered his forgiveness for every bad thing, every sinful action, every sinful thought, every time we've mistreated or done anything wrong, God offers his forgiveness to us for that. He made that forgiveness freely available to us through Jesus. John MacArthur once said, God is the consummate forgiver, and we depend every day on his ongoing forgiveness for our sins. So the least we can do is emulate his forgiveness in our dealings with one another. John MacArthur says God, his his forgiveness is who he is. And so the least we can do considering all he has forgiven us for is to give others who mistreat us. God forgives us all the time for every single thing we can do. Ephesians 4.32 says it clearly. It says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Ephesians and Paul, there, Paul sorry, says it in Ephesians very clearly. He's forgive everybody else because God forgave you, and so you should be forgiving them too. So the first reason we should forgive or why we should forgive is because God forgave you, and so you should forgive others. And the second reason is because of what happens if you don't forgive. I think there is something serious that we forget that happens if we don't forgive. In commenting on this verse, William Barclay says, The unforgiving spirit turns our hearts into bitterness. The unforgiving spirit turns our hearts into bitterness. And we go on and said, bitterness builds up. Bitterness consumes your very heart, your very spirit, and it kills you from the inside out. Bitterness builds up inside us when we hold on to these wrong when we f- f- refuse to forgive others, when we refuse to let go of those times we've been mistreated, it builds up inside us over and over, and this bitterness builds up and poisons us from the inside out. This week I read a story about a farmer whose family got very sick, uh, and, and actually some of the family died. What happened was the father, uh, was a, he found a truckload of discarded seed corn. So he found this truckload of discarded seed corn, and he fed it to his pigs. But see, the corn was not intended to be animal feed. And on the corn, it had been treated with something, some type of a pesticide, that was meant to keep uh, bugs away before the corn could germinate, but it was super toxic to be ingested. But what happened was the pigs ate it, and they showed no signs of being sick. And so they assumed it was okay for them to eat. And so the, the pigs ate it, and they were fine, and eventually those pigs became food for the farmer's family. And so when the families ate those pigs, they got very sick. They got really sick. Because it seems that the pesticides on the corn could not be digested, and so they remained in the bodies of the people that were eating them. And after they ate enough of those pesticides, it started to poison them from the inside out. Eventually, after enough of these, it made them very sick, and some of them actually died. And that's what happens with us with bitterness, too. When we hold off on forgiving, when we don't show forgiveness, when we refuse to forgive others, we slowly build bitterness up inside of us. And that bitterness adds and adds and adds. And like a poison inside of our body, it slowly grows and grows and grows. And we think, well, you know, it's not a big deal. I'm just, I'm not forgiving my brother because he offended me. Or I'm not forgiving, you know, my husband for this one thing. Or I'm not forgiving my mom. And it's just one time. It's just one or two things. But slowly, little by little, that bitterness builds up. It builds up inside of us. And it keeps building up inside of us until we blow up over something. 
And often we know when we've blown up over something, because usually it's over something so small, you know? Perhaps we blow up at the kid who's skateboarding in the parking lot beside our house. Or perhaps we blow up because the kids walked across our lawn. Or perhaps we blow up because someone didn't shovel their driveway to your standards. And we think later, we go, where did that come from? You know, why did I just blow up like that? Where did that, where did that come from? See, bitterness is toxic. No one likes bitterness. No one wants to be around people that are perpetually bitter. Bitterness kills you from the inside out. But Winston Smith pointed out there is a solution, and it's a fairly simple solution. He says, the Bible has a simple but rich solution to bitterness. Forgiveness. Forgiveness stops you from becoming bitter. Forgiveness lets go of the wrongdoing and lets the bitterness out. And So why do we forgive? Well, first, because God forgave us. And second, because not forgiving poisons us from the inside out. It turns us into bitter and angry people. William Barclay of this verse, he said, one of the things he said was, this is perhaps the most wonderful thing that Jesus ever said. He said, it's perhaps the most wonderful thing Jesus ever said. This idea of in the middle of his execution, Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And Barclay also said that there is nothing so lovely and yet so rare as real forgiveness. He said there is nothing so lovely and yet also so rare as real forgiveness in this world. In the middle of his execution, Jesus' words were, Father, forgive them. Jesus could have brought down all of heaven's power. He could have smited those people in their path, and instead, he says, Father, forgive them. This was Jesus walking the walk, not just talking the talk. And forgiveness for Jesus, it happened while he was on the cross. It wasn't an afterthought that he thought later. He thought about it, you know, a couple days down the road. Forgiveness was happening in the middle of his mistreatment. And that's because forgiveness wasn't just a thing that he did, but it was a very part of who he was. It wasn't something that happened on occasion, but it was part of what made Jesus, Jesus. And finally, we need to be forgiving people because we are a forgiven people. And so may forgiveness become so a part of our character that in the midst of our own executions, in the midst of our own mistreatment, we may have the ability to forgive our executioners. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your forgiveness. Jesus, thank you that your words on the cross were words of forgiveness. God, thank you that that forgiveness is, is freely offered to us. And Lord, we're sorry for when we don't extend that same forgiveness to others. We're sorry for when we hold on to our anger and our bitterness over wrongdoings caused to us. And when we withhold that forgiveness, God, help us, help us to let those things go. God, help us to, to release those things from our life. Lord, help us to, to not become bitter people on the inside, but instead help us to become people who are known for forgiving. God, help us to be a forgiving people. Lord, thank you for your many blessings. In Jesus' name, amen.